We had all the talk about earthquakes and shakings. Should give you a good clue that we're going to Acts chapter 16 and to uh, Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail. So it's Acts chapter 16 and verse 20. Acts 16 and verse 20. You remember the last time the Paul and Silas had cast out the uh, spirit of divination from the, the damsel, the soothsayer, and how our masters weren't pleased because they saw all their hope of gain to be gone. And they report Paul and his friends to the to the magistrates. So verse 20. And brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city, and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. And the multitude rose up to gather against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awakening out of his sleep, and seeing the prisoner's doors open, he drew out his sword, and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his straightway. And when he had brought them into his house, he sat meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. And when it was day, the magistrates sent the sergeant, saying, Let those men go. The keeper of the prison told this, saying to Paul, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart, and go in peace. But Paul said unto them, They have beaten us openly uncondemned, being Romans, and have cast us into prison, and now do they thrust us out privily? Nay, verily, but let them come themselves and fetch us out. And the sergeants told these words unto the magistrates, and they feared when they heard that they were Romans. And they came and besought them, and brought them out, and desired them to depart out of the city. And they went out of the prison, and entered into the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they comforted them, and departed, and amen. So, the, the title this morning 
is very simply the Philippian jailer. I said a few weeks ago, the Philippian jail is, is uh, as well known in Ulster as the maze prison is. It's been preached at many times over the years. So last time we saw Paul and Silas arrested on the trumped-up charge of disturbing the peace. Verse 20, the accusation was, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city. Uh, Teaching unlawful customs is the charge that was brought against them, a part, part of the charge. Whenever they talked about unlawful customs, uh, the prayer were taught was simply the gospel by another name. That's all they taught. Uh, slanderously, the gospel was called unlawful customs. And so they did. Uh, these uh, masters of the soothsayers pretended they were on a sort of a neighborhood watch scheme, uh, concerned about the safety and how it went in this city. But the truth of the matter was that all they were really concerned about was their own pockets, about their money. Their love of money was why they raised the issue with the magistrates in the first place, because they lost out. And it's sort of the same today in modern Britain in regards to some from the LGBT community. How often over the last few years have we heard of a street preacher reported to the magistrates, to the police, for what? Committing a a hate crime apparently. Everything seems to be a hate crime today, but here seems to be the number one hate crime when when it's against the LGBT community. And, and the impression is when they talk about hate crimes, they give the impression that this is some sort of threat to security. So here you have this wee old man standing on a soapbox with his Bible in his hand as if he's a Christian uh, Che Guevara, uh, a revolutionary, going to overthrow the whole British system. And they give him labels, these men. They call him homophobic. They call them fundamentalists. It's all to give the impression to the magistrates that this person is a public menace, that they're starting trouble in the city, that they are a danger to the customs of British values. And invariably, what happens is the multitude rise up, just as it was here in in Philippi. The multitude rise up together on social media and they all together with one voice clamour to live, oh, to live in a safer, equal society. All because of one man preaching the gospel. What's behind it all? Well, all they're giving the impression of being good citizens, giving the impression that they want Uh, an equal society, they want uh, equality and uh, all this here talk is just the same as it was with the masters of the soothsayer. It just comes down to the fact that they don't want anybody interfering 
with their darling sin. That's what's really behind it. They don't want anybody touching or mentioning their darling LGBT sin. Uh, Modern day Pharisees are all these lobby groups. They're just hypocrites whenever they talk about hate crimes and so forth. Well, anyhow, there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, Paul, for preaching the gospel, and nothing more, and his friend were reported as troublemakers. We see it today in our society. You wouldn't have expected it to go well for Paul and Silas on those charges. Um, uh, There was already an um, anti-Jewish environment at the time in in Philippi. Remember, Philippi was a a colony of Rome. And uh, just a little while earlier, the emperor Claudius had passed a decree for the expulsion of of all the Jews out of Rome. And it seems to be the case that being a Roman colony, Philippi also had expulsed all the Jews out of Rome, or most of the Jews, certainly the men folk, out of Rome. So there there was already an anti-Jewish feeling in the city. And then all of a sudden, these newly arrived Jews, Paul and Silas and his friends, come, and they begin to upset the people. And they begin to upstage the gods. So you would have expected that they weren't going to get away with just a uh, with just a caution. And so it proved. So it proved. Verse twenty-two and twenty-three. The magistrates stripped the pair of their clothes and laid many stripes upon them. And they cast them into prison, and they charged the jailer to keep them. Safely, Some of the commentators believe that they actually intended to put them to the sword the next day, to kill them the next day. Uh, And that's why the Philippian jailer, when he put them into prison, he just didn't put them into any cell, but he threw them into the inner prison and he put them into the deepest dungeon in, in, in in the jailhouse. And he put their feet fast in the stalks. So here's men that they're that they're, they're serious about. This is not a speeding offence. And perhaps the commentators are right that they were earmarked for the death penalty the next morning. It's possible. But the whole uh, manner of treating the, the two Christians, uh, it all sounds so familiar. Uh, false charges. The, the troublemaker. Uh, stirring up the crowds. And then the, uh, stripping them and scourging them and uh, planning perhaps to put them to death the next morning. It all just sounds so familiar. It all sounds as if it's just taking a leaf out of uh, Christ's book the night in which he was arrested and the night in which he was harangued before the magistrates. Remember how Jesus says, this is your hour and the power of darkness. And that seems to be the hour that's come upon Paul and says now. It seems to be an extreme response to them simply preaching what's happened to them. You only have to read church history 
and read of the devilish instruments. And that's the only way he could describe them. The devilish instruments of torture that have been used upon the saints over the centuries to see how the spirit of the prince of the power of the air works in the children of disobedience to treat them so wickedly and cruelly. And nothing has changed as far as his power is concerned. That same wee man in the soapbox, standing on a street corner with his Bible in his hand, if providence gave Satan and our magistrate's life, he too would be put into the shackles. He too would have his leg put into a, a, the crusher or stretched in the rack. Don't think that our society is any more civilized than they were 500 years ago. It doesn't work that way. This is, it's principalities and powers. It's the devil who's behind all of this. And he hasn't uh, in any way become more civilized in the last 500 years. So it could happen just as easy again if God gave us over to that way of going. Well, the devil, like a lamb, if he thought that roughing up Paul and Silas a wee bit was going to knock the heart out of them, he was roaring up the wrong tree. He'd picked the wrong man. Because at midnight, we're told, their mouths and the dungeon was filled with the sweet strains of verse 25 as they prayed and sang praises unto God. Their feet had been, were held fast in the stalks. And yet, notwithstanding, they were able to go walking and leaping and praising God in their dungeon, in their cell. We ought to remember, Paul says in Hebrews 13, remember them that are in bonds. And there are many things that we're going to pray for them. But certainly one of them is that we can remember to pray that God would give them grace so that in their darkest hour, in their deepest dungeons, that God might give to them grace to be able to pray and to praise God in the midst of it all. They prayed. And we can take an educated guess what Paul and Silas prayed for. We can guess that they prayed that Christ might be magnified in their bodies, whether it be by life or perhaps by death. We can guess that they prayed for kings and for all that were in authority in Philippi so that they might be released and be able to go about their business quietly and peaceably in all godliness and honesty. We can take a guess that they prayed that Christ, the gospel of Christ, would set the prisoners all around them in the cells next door. That it set the prisoners free. And they are not just guesses, but educated guesses, because that's exactly how it all played out. Christ was magnified. The authorities did set them free with peace. And there was others who were freed around them. It's 
so we can think it's how the prayers went. We can take an educated guess as far as the sort of psalms they were singing. They would have sung, perhaps, God will I bless at all times. His praise shall be in my mouth. And so it was. We can guess that they sang at midnight, He took me from a fearful pit. He put a new song in my mouth, my God to magnify. Many shall see it and shall fear, and on the Lord rely. We can guess that they sang, If that the Lord had not our cause maintained, when cruel men rose up against us furiously, broke are their nets and escaped our way. And as you can guess why, because that's exactly what did happen. They were able to praise at midnight. They were able to be delivered from the pit. They were able to magnify the Lord. Others around them did fear and rely on the Lord. God had maintained their cause. And they did escape like birds, jailbirds, as they were. And the prisoners heard all this, apparently. All this singing and all this praying. And verse 25 says, And all the prisoners heard them. Do you hear them, beloved? Do you hear them? For Paul and Silas's jailhouse praise is a working example of what James chapter 5 verse 13 holds out to believers. James 5 13 says, Is any among you afflicted? What's he to do? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. So we've got a working example here of what we are to do, Christians. You and I are to do whenever you next find yourself locked up in a providence which is dark and cold and damp and sore. To pray at midnight at the darkest point of it. And to sing praise to God. To sing psalms. He gives us a good example here. But somebody may say in return, but that's okay. That was, that was the apostles Paul and Silas that were able to do this. And we're just plain George and Mildred type Christians. We're just plain ordinary Christians. We're not apostles. But what's that? I was telling the folk at the midweek a couple of weeks ago about an elderly couple I visited. Uh, I visited them a couple of times next in the last few months in Balamone. Uh, the wife, who must be, she's certainly maybe not far off now, but she's been bedbound for seven years in a small front room of the house, downstairs room. And not only is she bedbound for seven years, but for seven of those years, she has been 
She's like the woman in the gospel who Jesus came across. She has, she's bowed down and she can't straighten herself up for seven years. So that even though she's bed bound, she can't even lie back on her bed. She can't even get the benefit of a cushion and a comfortable position. She's all doubled over. She's all hunched up. She faces the mattress. Her head hangs down almost between her legs, just almost nose to mattress, 24-7, every day for the last seven years. And I asked her husband next door, he was in the, in the living room next door, how does she cope with that? How does she cope with that for seven years? And he says, you know, she's in there talking to the Lord all day long, full of joy. And he's talking to her as well. She wasn't Paul. She wasn't even Lydia. She's just a wee ordinary Christian woman. But she had learned the secret of contentment. In whatever state she was, therewith to be content. You know that framed Bible text? It's found in many a home. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. It wasn't intended to hang on the walls of our conservatories. It was really intended to hang on the walls of our cells. It's in that context that Paul says, I can do all things. When we find ourselves in a cell, in a dark place, I can do all things. I can sing. I can pray. I can talk to the Lord. I can be content. Because I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. That, that, that old verse, it hasn't uh, faded over the centuries. Still holds good today for ordinary Christians. If there's any such thing as ordinary Christians. Well, it hung on Paul's cell and Silas's cell. And if it had been really up there, well, it wouldn't have stayed up there too long. It probably would have fallen off because at first, 26, we're told that suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. In Acts chapter 12, the Lord sent, you remember, an angel to fetch Peter out of prison on that occasion. Now, he sends an earthquake not a small, still voice, but an earthquake. The Lord was speaking in an earthquake. The Lord's voice was in the earthquake. He could have secured the power's release quietly in a less conspicuous Way, but he could have done that. He just could have opened the doors. Or he could have sent an angel again and just ushered them out quietly when all of them were asleep, as he did with Peter. But he doesn't do that this time. God makes a racket, the loudest racket that you could have, an earthquake. Why would he do that? Well, it would have only been for special effect. All the sounds 
was and the and the shakings had to have been for special effect to affect everyone in the prison and indeed in the city to affect the magistrates to affect the magistrates the earthquake does seem to have affected the magistrates if they did have in mind to put Paul and Silas to death the next day well they changed their tune and the earthquake does seem to have affected the magistrates in the same way that the Philistines were affected in 1 Samuel chapter 4 where we read, remember whenever the ark came into the camp of the Jews, of the Israelites, and the Philistines said, what meaneth the noise of this great shout? And they were afraid because they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, woe unto us. And it seems to me that the magistrates were affected by what had happened, by the earthquake. And they said, God has come into this city. And they said, woe unto us. Because that's the only real conclusion you can come to why they sent the word the next morning to release Paul and his friend. Go in peace. So the earthquake for special effects certainly affected the magistrates. Let those men go. And the earthquake also had special effect upon the prisoners. The prisoners. How do you explain for verse 28? Is it verse 28? Uh, when it were, 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 were told that all the prisoners stayed in their places. Uh, all the doors were open, verse 23 says. All the doors were open. The whole prison was land open to the world, and yet all of them. Stayed put. How do you explain for that? How do you explain? The prisoner had heard these Christians in the cell next door praying at midnight. And in five minutes past midnight, they heard God's answer very loudly. So whenever the opportunity came for them to escape, when all their bonds broke off, when all the doors were laid open, instead of seizing the moment, the moment that seized them, they were paralyzed by everything they'd heard from Paul and Silas and how God had spoke in response to their prayers and they didn't budge. How else do you explain for them staying put instead of making their getaway? So it had special effect upon the magistrates and special effect upon the other prisoners. But of course it had special effect upon the jailer, which we'll come to in a moment. We believe, Christians, that earthquakes, volcanoes, great winds, etc., are under divine, sovereign control. And we must not... Um, Stop calling them acts of God. We mustn't fall for the new definition which the secular world assigns to these uh, phenomena as acts of Mother Nature. No, 
All these things are under God's control. They're all acts of God. And Christians must not allow ourselves to fall in in with the, the, the secular mindset of the world around us and attribute earthquakes and tsunamis and volcanoes and the great winds to geological, geological causes, the secondary causes. But instead, just allow them to stand for what we believe that they are, that God speaks still through earthquakes and tsunamis and great winds and so forth. Let God speak through them. If they cause great devastation, let's not try to uh, keep God out of the picture so he doesn't get any of the blame and say, oh, it was because of this geological event or this geological uh, happening. No. Let's give God his praise. God doesn't need us to stand and uh, excuse him. Let him speak through these things. Psalmist in Psalm 83, verse 13 13, 18 says, As the fire burneth a wood, and as the flame setteth the mountains in fire, so persecute them with thy tempest, O Lord, and make them afraid with thy storm. Father, or Lord, fill their faces with shame, that they may seek thy name, O Lord. Let them be confounded and troubled, that men may know that thou, whose name alone is Jehovah, art the most high over all the earth. God speaks through these things to shake men and women from their slumber. And what are we going to do as Christians? Put it down to science. Put it down to second causes. Mute God by geological phenomena. Let God speak. He was speaking here. And they had the sense to hear him. As did the prison keeper. Verse 27 says, The keeper of the prison, who awakened of his sleep, and seeing the prison doors open, drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had fled. He was going to kill himself. His reaction always struck me as being a tad extreme, as well as certainly premature. Like why would he why would he do that? Why would he have wanted to kill himself immediately? But you need to understand the context of the day to really appreciate it. A Roman soldier in the first century who allowed a prisoner to escape, let alone a whole prison, to escape, would invariably be arrested. He would be publicly disgraced. He would be humiliated. And he would be publicly executed. And that's exactly what happened to the prison guards. Whenever Paul, or sorry, whenever Peter escaped in Acts chapter 12, verse 19. 
whenever Peter escaped that time of the angel, the guards were summoned the next morning to the magistrates. And when they couldn't give a satisfactory answer, they were put to the sword. That was a done thing. That's the way it worked. In Acts 27, verse 42, you remember Paul and his friends are on the ship going towards Rome. And there was the potential that the ship was going to go down. And uh, in verse 42, we read, the soldiers took counsel to kill the prisoners. Why? Lest any of them should swim out and escape. They wanted to make sure that the prisoners died rather than they escaped. Because if they did escape, it would come back to them. So it was a case of Roman Harry Carey that the jail was about to commit falling on his sword because he had failed the emperor and he had brought shame on himself and there was nothing but a certain ignominious end to it all. Suicide or its illegitimate son assisted suicide is never an honourable death, it's never dying with dignity as it's put across today. That we hunched over, bed-ridden woman of the last seven years is an example of dying with dignity. Is an example of somebody who has an honourable death, praying and praising the Lord, notwithstanding all of her afflictions. That's an honourable death. And we Christians must seek to prevent any such moves in society, as Paul does here in verse 12, when the Philippian jailer went for his sword, crying out and saying, with a loud voice, do thyself no harm. Christianity's message is the only restraint on a country like our own bent on self-harm. The message of the gospel is the only restraint on our society not giving itself over to putting our sick to death and our old to death. Not just thou shalt not kill. We've got more to say than the law. We've got the gospel as well. Thou shalt not kill, but there's life for you. There's healing for you. There's recovery for you. Don't kill yourself. You can have life. And that's what's really encapsulated in the question that the Philippian jailer put to Paul and his friend in verse 30. Sirs, what must I do to be saved. He's speaking not here about saving himself from the sword. It's not physical saving he's speaking about here, but saving his own skin. He's asking him, what can I have do to have my soul saved? For one thing, the prisoners didn't escape. Uh, and the very fact that they didn't escape meant uh, that he was more chance of getting a promotion. But none of them escaped in the middle of an earthquake 
rather than get an execution. And if somebody wonders, well, uh, how did he know that he needed his soul saved? Wasn't he a Philippian jailer in a pagan city? How did he know that he needed to escape from the wrath to come? How did he know that he needed to be reconciled to God from his sins? How did he know all that? Well, it's simple. Obviously, he had heard for himself. Or perhaps heard secondhand the incident with the soothsayer. And how she went about the city. Because it wouldn't have been a big city. But how she went about the city for many days. Proclaiming, these men are the servants of the Most High God. And then here it is. Which show unto us the way of salvation. Do you not think that that was the talk of the town? These men are God's servants. And they preach about the way of salvation. They preach about the way to have, uh, to be eternally saved. Whenever they were handed over to the authorities, did the Philippian jailer not know what they were charged with? Certainly he knew that these men preached the way of salvation for the soul. It's as if he says to them, what must I do? A wretch. A a, a wretch who has treated you terribly, thrown you into the darkest dungeon, locked you in. What can I do to be saved? For my sins. It's a good question. It's not the $64,000 question. It's more than that. It's worth 64,000 words. To ask that question. And get the right answer. Because what would it profit the Philippian jailer. If. For talk's sake. He was promoted to the emperor of Rome because the prisoners had not escaped. What would it have profited him to be an emperor? But they have lost his soul. Nothing. Nothing. So the Paul's answer to him is unto you also. If you ever ask that question, is of incalculable, incalculable worth When he says in verse 31, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Not doing, doing, doing to be saved, but receiving, resting, relying on Jesus Christ for righteousness, for salvation. No pilgrimages, no novenas, No letting candles, just simply the heart embracing, trusting, leaning on Jesus Christ for eternal life. Grace, saving grace, is that simple. Just believe. Just believe. It's that wonderful. It's out of this world. There's nothing like it in this world. It's that free. There's no doing about it. It's just resting on it. It's just receiving it. It's the gift of God. And it's that domestic. It's that domestic. Because he was also told, not only shall I be saved, 
But you'll notice it says also in verse 30, and thy house, and thy house. Sorry, in verse 31. The covenant of grace, the gospel of grace, from Abraham's time and even before, has always included, and thy house. Always, and thy house. This day is salvation come to this house. For as much as he, speaking about Zacchaeus, for as much as he also is a son of Abraham, Zacchaeus' profession of faith, salvation came to this house. House. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Doesn't Paul say in 1 Corinthians 7, for the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. But now are they set apart. But now are they no longer counted as profane and heathen, but they're holy. They've been set apart unto God. By precious promises. Promises which if they also believe. They too. Shall be saved. The Philippian jailer's house. Where they all resorted to. Which no doubt was next door. Which no doubt was attached to the jailhouse. Not two miles down the road. That became a little church. The gospel was preached in it. There was baptisms that took place that night in the middle of the night. And verse 33 says, and they were baptized. He and all his straightway. And he adds, and they rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. 